Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Monday the 12th of September and joining me on this edition are assistant editor Steve Withers. Mark is a prematurely middle-aged prick. News, news editor Mark Hodgkinson. Spare Um <laughs> I've lost my thread now. <laughs> if you have to travel alone, travel in style. And our special guest is Mark Botwright. I don't think you're an idiot at all. Uh, welcome to the AV Forums podcast for this week. Lots to get through there. There is tons of news. Um, obviously, we've still got some stuff to get uh, talking about from IFA, uh, which was now nearly two weeks ago. <laughs> Doesn't time fly? Uh, we've also got some big news from Sony and so on. But before we go to that news, and there was some little phone launched as well this week uh, at the time that we were recording the podcast. Uh, before that, uh, competitions. So uh, tell us what we can win, Mr. Borright. Okie dokes. Um, once again, we've got the, I'll, I'll try a different pronunciation, the Stelgis Audio Mega Giveaway. Uh, that's open to all members until September the 30th. Uh, third prize, some NS1 active speakers with Bluetooth. And these come in a uh, choice of seven colors. Second prize, the NS3 active speakers with Bluetooth. And first prize is the ML30 HD amplifier. And there's also the AK Racing Gaming Chair in a separate competition, and that's also open to all members until 30th of September. Do these gaming chairs, do they just work with, the, with uh, you know, car racing and that kind of thing, or can you use them for other games? No, no, no. It, it, it's really just a kind of comfortable, supportive chair for gaming. If anyone kind of... <laughs> it, it, it sounds it's really stupid. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it does sound... I know it, it sounds kind of stupid, like, uh, you know, it, it's a, a kind of pointless thing, but... When you are gaming, if you find yourself particularly kind of tense or something like that, you do find yourself hunched in strange positions in a regular armchair. And something with a, a bit of support, something that's very comfortable, is, you know, worth its weight in gold. You're not going to put it in the lounge, though, are you? No, pr- probably not. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> Granny. You can sit in that chair. <laughs> I've entered this, actually, because I'm suffering with bad posture from sitting in a dining <laughs> chair for the last five years for my work. So, yeah, not allowed to enter. Yeah. <laughs> Why um, not? I'm not an employee. I suppose that's true. Yeah. He's it, let me, it let me enter. So, you he's, know. A, he's a number, Steve. That's all he is. Oh, just, just a, a number. <laughs> Although, uh, if you do I'm win, back. questions will be raised. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you better hope you don't win. <laughs> Speak to my physiotherapist. <laughs> uh, any previous competition winners? None. Okay, uh, right, so let's move on. We've got lots to talk about, like I said, uh, this week. Hardware news, so rounding up IFA. Uh, the two things that we didn't discuss on last week's uh, IFA special, Steve, um, and that's the return of two well-known brands. However, they have been bought by third parties, and uh, we've yet to see what the product's going to be like, and we're talking about Sharp and Toshiba here. Yeah, Japanese brands seem to be like buses at the moment. You know, Nothing for ages, and along come two at the same time. So I think the UMC Sharp deal was actually announced prior to IFA. But um, they had their, had a, a combined stand at the show, which I think suppose they had done that. Uh, UMC, I, I've got to be honest here, isn't a company, a manufacturer that I was familiar with. Well, you see, I, th- I think they're from the future because if you look at the logo yeah. and you, if you turn the U on its side to make it a D, then it's from the future. <laughs> it's the same, um, same typeface as well. It is identical, isn't it? Uh, Universal Media Corporation. And actually, um, depending on how you class Turkey, uh, if you don't think Turkey's part of Europe, uh, I guess most people don't consider it part of Europe at the moment, but that's where Vestal's based. Uh, then UMC are actually the largest manufacturer TVs in Europe, and they're based in Slovakia. And they've bought the uh, the rights to the Sharp name for the European market. So in much the same way that Hisense have bought the rights to the Sharp name uh, in the Americas, 
uh, and also their production facilities, I think, in Mexico, in the same way Slovakia have bought um, Sharp's production facilities in Europe and also the rights to the name uh, in this in this part of the world. And the idea is that they're going to use um, not just the Sharp name, but also a lot of the Sharp tech as well. So things like the IGZO screen technology that Sharp have developed, which is actually quite interesting because what's really interesting about these screen technologies, you can you can basically cut it into just about any shape you like. And so it's proving massively popular in the automotive industry where, where screens are becoming the norm in cars now. And because you can make them into different shapes, you can easily fit them into dashboards. So that's very popular. But from the TV perspective, they're also going to be launching a range of um, Sharp TVs in, 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 uh, in Europe that will combine uh, UMC's production facilities in this part of the world, plus uh, some of Sharp's technology. So it should be very interesting. I mean, we'll, hopefully what we'll see uh, are some, um, you know, well-designed but relatively inexpensive televisions coming to the European market. I mean, Phil, you know as well as I do that for years we used to go to CES and see all these great Sharp TVs that never, ever got released in Europe. Yeah, so and if um, UMC to, can actually bring some of that tech to the European market, I think that's a good thing. Toshiba started to do that as well towards the end. Um, I remember they, they flew me and, and quite a number of uh, UK journalists all the way out to Rome. Um, well, it was actually, it, it was a bit like an easy jet flight. We didn't actually get to Rome, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, but we did go to where they, they, they shoot a lot of the Roman stuff. I forget the name of the, the studio. Chinita That's Chinita the one. Studios. Yeah, we went to that studio and we walked down the Roman street and all the rest of it. Uh, and at that event, they announced their flagship TV and, and obviously I videoed it all and interviewed the guy and all the rest. And at the end of the interview, he said, oh, by the way, this is not coming to the UK. <laughs> I remember that very much. Is that, is that... That yeah. One, that two, yeah, it was a Z2, yeah. Uh, a fantastic TV, but uh, no, it's not coming to the UK because we don't think we'll sell any. <laughs> Depressing, all right. isn't it, that happens. So, so you've flown us all the way out here to, to look at what exactly? Um, I think we've already got a fair idea of what we're what we're going to get from uh, Vestal and Toshiba because they've been making Vestal have been making Toshiba TVs for a number of years. I noticed probably about three or four years ago that yeah. the menu systems and, and the way they operated was between yeah. the two brands was just the same at the lower end anyway so yeah. i don't think it's going to see any, i don't uh, think we'll see any of the high-end tech from toshiba i mean i'm hopeful we will but i've just got a feeling we won't well I, there, there is that i mean uh, you just have to look at the market at the minute it's a fight to the bottom like it is in the yeah. u.s i mean you go to the u.s uh, like we said last week or the week before you know we've walked into big brand u.s stores like best buy and fries and you know you struggle to find any japanese brands to be honest. Um, the only one on that exception when we went to look was Sony. Um, there was no other Japanese brands no, within sight. So it just shows you which way the market goes. The other thing is that um, Vestal, they've got a name for making cheap rubbish, but actually they can make some decent TVs, um, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, the, the perfectly serviceable tellies. That what what they do lack, as far as AV forums, you know, readers and members are concerned, is decent calibration control. So they could be better. That, and that's that's something I'm hoping they, they can get the 10-point white balance controls or even the two-point white balance controls from the Toshiba TVs in there and make them a whole lot better because the basic performance is okay. And you know, they, they often have good screen uniformity and all the rest of it and decent smart features. So if they can just get more accuracy into the images, then yeah then it could make a big improvement. And like you say, Steve, I mean, the Sharp stuff, some of the Sharp stuff that we've seen at CES has been absolutely brilliant. And you think, well, that's, that's going to do so well when it comes to the UK. And then it never did. It never did. Never turned up. Yeah, I know. And it was always disappointing, wasn't it? We'd see these really, really good-looking TVs and then never, ever saw them in the UK. So I'm really hoping that, that UMC's deal with Sharp will mean that we'll start to see some of that tech appearing in the European market. And the same with, um, I guess, with Vestal. It, it kind of makes sense, because although they're a huge manufacturer of TVs, and you know, they tend to be behind the scenes. Um, and Vestal itself is not a name that's recognised that well in the UK. 
and the rest of Europe. It's not a brand in itself. No, exactly. So buying the rights to Toshiba name um, really makes sense, doesn't it? Because that's a very, very recognisable name that people immediately associate with televisions. And I think that would probably uh, work quite well for Vestal. Yeah. Um, But as you say, Mark, it depends on, you know, if if they can bring some of the Toshiba tech into their into their TVs and things like calibration controls, then, then um, that, that could, I think it could be good news all around. Yeah. So Vestal behind Bush and Hitachi and all those Argos yes. brands that you see, basically. So uh, Finlux as well, isn't it? Finlux, of course, yeah. Actually, They're don't they make some TVs for some of the big names as well that are just sort of... Well, Pan- Panasonic, um, <laughs> a lot of the Panasonic... Um, yeah really low-end stuff was made by them but um panasonic are going back to doing their own low-end stuff uh, i think it didn't have a the, the the i think people found out it was very it was vestal and then people uh, didn't want to buy it because they thought they were yeah. buying a panasonic well panasonic's built its reputation on quality and and you know if you're starting to do that i think it you know it diminishes the brand um you know, the, the, the value of the brand. So yeah. I can see why they wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. Okay, so there was um there was a little phone launched um <laughs> this week. We're recording this at ten AM on Friday morning and already the the pre orders opened at one minute past eight this morning and the jet black version of the iPhone seven has sold out already. It's gone. You can't get one now. Uh-huh. They don't have know how to make people spend a hell of a lot of money on tech. It hasn't really moved very far. <laughs> Well, you know, Apple is um, it's not just a tech company. It's an aspirational product, a fashion statement. It's it's so many things. And, and, and yeah, you're right. The, the fan base will buy pretty much anything they put out. But I've got to say, that jet black phone did look really cool. Oh, give over. Uh, oh, yes. Give so, over. So, yeah. you, yes. <laughs> and I quite fancy a watch now as well for some reason. That's all you said. <laughs> And those AirPod, you know, the AirPod uh, earphones. They just look. They just look weird. They just look weird. But I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you come onto this with a headphone socket because this seems to be the the big thing. You know, the 3.5 mil jack has now disappeared and it's now part of the lightning. Um, well done, Apple. I know every headphone company on the planet is now clapping their hands and rubbing yeah. their hands a big glee because you've just created a whole new marketplace for them in terms of wireless. Uh, compatible iPhone 7 headphones and if we've learned anything from Apple products from the iPad to the iPhone and so on is that the accessories that go with these products make these companies shed loads of money and these markets spring up in no time so you have just created a new market for wireless headphones that are iPhone 7 compatible you can just see all the headphone companies out there rubbing their hands quickly or you yeah. can see it, you know, if you look in our inbox at news mm-hmm. AB forums, we can already feel the effects. Probably a minute after the launch. of new headphones mm-hmm. are coming in our direction. Yeah, I mean, they're clever. They, they said they were, what was the phrase that they used? They were, um, courage. They were, they, they were using courage. a bit of courage. No, they were just thinking, well, there's a niche. Let's do this and let's create another niche for ourselves. Because, you know, the whole success of the iPod wasn't just the product, uh, Mr. Buttright, but it was also the white earphones. They became a fashion statement. Yes, it's it's kind of it's strange to think of a time when just kind of dowdy black earphones were in. Um, it it's just it's such a simple thing, and that's that's continually what Apple does with branding, though, isn't it? It takes something ridiculously simple like a change of color and somehow turns it into this kind of aspirational statement of intent of kind of upwards mobility and the like. It, it's it's very very strange, very cult like. Um, but you know, it continues to show that it works in the long run, and you know, you wouldn't be surprised to see if, if this does the same for earphones. 
We've got not to forget that they've got their own optional earphones ready at 159 quid, haven't they? So that'll be an extra bit of uh, bit of money on the bottom line for them. The little case that charges them sounds quite cool. Yeah. Oh, they only got five hours charge as well, haven't they? Phone comes with a pair of earphones with a lightning connector and a lightning connector to um, 3.5 millimeter audio jack. Yeah, adapter, but how, so. how are you supposed to listen to your music while charging your phone? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there is that, I suppose. Although well, it's long battery life now. I mean, it, 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 it is an evolution rather than a revolution in terms of the phone, but uh, yeah, it looks cool uh, and they've crammed as much tech as they possibly can into it. So, yeah, and I'm sure it'll sell like a cure for cancer. I mean, that, they sold a billion phones, haven't they? <laughs> they said a billion. So, um, and, and the, even the watch, which you know, I never thought of as a particularly successful product, is the second largest selling watch in the world after Rolex. So, um, yeah, I think Apple are doing okay. Yeah, yeah, but is is that still such a big market though for for watches? Because everybody now has a mobile phone in their pocket, which they just look at for the time. So, and they also said uh, it was sales in terms of uh, revenue, not actually numbers. Yeah, so obviously, right. you Because know, Rolex are high, you know, high value items as well. So they're obviously looking at how much they're making per a watch sold. But uh, yeah, I mean, Apple's Apple, isn't it? Their, their products look. Cool. Yeah, they've got their claws into you, haven't they? <laughs> No, come on, Phil, even you'll admit, I mean, as Apple users ourselves, one thing I'll say about Apple is the products look cool. They are expensive. There's no question about that. You look at the prices of these phones, it's hellishly expensive. And they seem to be using a one-to-one ratio in terms of dollar to pound now. Um, so thank you, well, people voted to leave. Well, no, you see, this, this is, I think this is another example. The company's taken advantage of Brexit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, deliberately up in the price. Although the prices aren't that different from last year. I mean, like I say, they work. They work really well. Um, they look very cool. Yes, they are expensive. But uh, if you're a fan of Apple products, then you're going to be happy. And if you're well, not a fan, I, you probably weren't going to buy them anyway. Well, are you going to be happy? Because actually I'm looking at a lot of the comments that have been left on the forum and a lot of negativity there, mainly over the price. We haven't yet seen all the deals that are going to come out and they will appear on our price comparison thing uh, widget, which you can find on the website. There's That's a just lot part of the cycle, though, isn't it, with an Apple see, product I'm, launching, I'm, which is people get excited, people see the price and start complaining, and then people think, oh, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll stick in a pre-order anyway, because if, <laughs> if they sell out, then I'll be able to sell it on to someone anyway for what I paid for it, and I'll get to play with it anyway. You know, it, it's all yeah. part of this cycle. Well, now. I mean, the other thing is, though, I, I've got an iPhone 6 here, and I see nothing apart from the camera on the Plus, and I'm not paying... <laughs> An extra 400 quid to upgrade for, because I'd only get 400 quid for the for the iPhone 6 in a trade-in. So I'd have to pay another 400 quid to get the that, and that's just the lower model um, plus with the fancy camera. And that that'd be the only reason I would upgrade is the fancy camera. Everything else, I, I, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't move it on for me from the 6. I'd be thinking twice if I was a, an existing uh, owner with a decent pair of um, earphones already, you know, aftermarket earphones. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Because I wouldn't want to be sticking in that little donkey adapter thing. It's just a nuisance. Get Ed's view on this as the resident <laughs> headphone nutter. <laughs> I dare say he'd have a right rant. <laughs> oh, no, there is no question it would be something. a rant. It would be a rant over it. it you know, it, he could win 60 million on the lottery and he'd still have a rant. <laughs> That'd be true. Although he'd be happy with all the you know classic cars he could buy. Uh, right, so um, that, that's basically a new iPhone 7 that's been launched. And like I say, if you are looking for deals or you want to see how much uh, that is, you can use the mobile phone comparison uh, tool that is on the website. You'll find it under the buy and sell in the menus. Um, right, before we finish with the iPhone 7, um, Nintendo, Mark? Yes, yeah, um, we're going to see uh, a new Nintendo game on the iPhone. First on iOS, uh, Super Mario Run, Shigeru Miyamoto came out. 
um, at the unveiling of the did, iPhone did, 7. Did and anybody understand his opening lines in English before he went nope. to Japanese? <laughs> Not <a word> of <laughs> no, no. They may as well have to- turned his mic off, to be honest. But still, it, it was... Pe- people love him, and if you if you wanted any greater um, example that, you know, really these events are already preaching to the converted and that they know who they're selling to, then this was the moment. Um, no one was going to give a bad reaction to him. Um, and, it you know... To be fair, the game looks it looks good. It, it's an interesting idea in as much as um, Mario has always been a side-scrolling platformer and you, I think everyone's always assumed that it would have to be in landscape mode. And so, he, you know, this Mario Run game shows in portrait mode um, and you can play it one-handed. So it's, it's quite a, a novel idea to... Everyone's always wondered how they were going to slim down the controls, how they would get that kind of intuitive control scheme in there. Um, and so if, if it works, then it looks like it will sell hugely. Yeah, it's going to be massive. And you can just see what kind of effect Pokemon Go has had as well, because um, uh, you just knew that that was going to pop up at some point with Apple and uh, it, on the watch, you know. Well, po- yeah, Pokemon Go Plus coming to the iWatch. That's that's an, another big thing. Um, yeah. The only fly in the ointment here is the fact that um, the Mario runs coming first to iOS, so that should be coming to Android as well. But it means that Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem, the two games that were also slated to come in 2016, will now be pushed back to 2017. So, you know, there are slight fallouts to that, but I'm sure for the sake of a, a new Mario game on everyone's iPhone, I'm sure people will accept that. Did I understand it right? Did it pick it up right that um, even if you've got it on the watch, you know, Pokemon Go and, and a new Pokemon pops up, you still have to go and get your phone out? to catch it oh i haven't seen that no uh, that's what um, I, picked. I, I as i assume as i understand it the the pokemon go plus the little uh, wristband thing works purely as a notification so it'll vibrate it's it's a separate thing so i'm assuming that with regards iwatch functionality they're just shifting those things onto mm. the iwatch so you don't have to works, buy a separate thing yeah so that's, that's still tethered to the phone yeah that's what i thought so you still need to get your phone out to catch them yes to see that they were um, some of the new tech we've been talking about all year is is sort of filtering down to phones. Well, I mean, it, it wouldn't be a, color gamuts on it wouldn't screens. be an Apple launch if they didn't click on all the biggest buzzwords in the yeah. consumer electronics industry, wouldn't it? I mean, these are the big buzzwords, so they're going to use them. They use Nets. I've never yep. seen Apple ever use the term Nets before, <laughs> ever. Uh, white color, like you say, uh, P3, you mentioned P3 at one point. Yeah. You know, these are all terminology that Apple last year wasn't interested in, but because of the big buzzwords at the minute, um, you know, they latch onto them. Um, and, and, you know, again, I was looking at uh, the new Samsung 7, not the one that bursts into flames, but the, <laughs> when you charge it, but the other one. Um, <laughs> the the, one. The, uh, they could market that. <laughs> it keeps you warm in winter. Well, I've I've just seen a thing from the CEA on uh, yeah. on Twitter, which is um, they're they're either going to stop people taking them onto planes, or they they need to make sure that they're all switched off and not charging when you take them onto a plane. Not good publicity for Samsung at the minute. But if you look at the seven, it's functionality-wise and so on. There's not a great deal between Apple and and Samsung these days, um, apart no, from no, apart no, from no. the gulf in price and of course the status symbol of the Apple branding. In fact, if you talk to somebody who's really into mobile phones, they'll almost always say that, which, which shall I get, you know, in terms of functionality and capabilities, is it the Apple or the or, or the Samsung? They'll all say Samsung, you know, it's the superior phone in terms of functionality but and things they, like that. They've lost one of the key selling points. Don't the, the more modern ones don't come with expandable memory now? 
On the Never yeah, mind. maybe because that, that was definitely one of their key selling points. Because obviously with the Apple, you're they have increased the memory, haven't they, this year with the phones thirty two, hundred and twenty eight and two hundred fifty six. But um, finally, but uh, you could never expand. You can't expand it, and that was one of the big things about uh, using Samsung. So you could expand them. You're right. I think you might be right there, Mark. Okay, so that's a, a new phone that was launched this week, just from a little company. Um, uh, we'll obviously probably have more on this going forward because I'm sure there's going to be more um, and when people get their hands on them and uh, we find out what's, uh, what they're like. So we'll be coming back to that one. Let's stay with uh, with gaming there, Mark, and um, tell us all the positives about this new PS4 Pro that's been announced before we talk about the absolutely massive negative. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, well, yes. Um, in the event in New York, they showed off the Pro. It's it's coming out sooner rather than later, uh, November the tenth. Um, one huge um, plus point. Uh, we were talking about the kind of pounds to dollar point and post Brexit prices. Um, it's three nine nine in the states and three four nine in this country. Uh, I I always assumed that they might just do a straightforward dollars to pounds conversion, as a lot of products seem to be doing now. Um, but no, so a decent price point. Um, they've uh, doubled the GPU. Um, there's a boost for the CPU. Everything seems to be tailored towards 4K. They're obviously not... Well, they will hit 4K with some some titles, but it, it probably won't be native 4K for the, the overwhelming majority. They're not fragmenting things, so you can use the same disks between the old PS4 and, and this one. And they're, they're kind of pushing HDR gaming as well and netflix and things like this so those are all massive massive positives i am I'm, I'm assuming that we'll get onto the big negative now go on no uhd blu-ray drive which it it, it just seemed like the most obvious decision in the world um, <laughs> and, and that's an understatement <laughs> everyone just assumed it everyone just assumed it i mean why would you not uh, particularly with the absence of their own standalone players Everyone just assumes the Xbox One S does. So yes. Even more so for me. That's the that will be the reason to do it, is to rival Microsoft. But I think yeah. if you listen closely, you can still hear Microsoft laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's just it it's a strange decision. But then again, I you have to assume that perhaps price was simply the point. It can't have bumped the price that much, but perhaps they simply they were cutting it fine. We've we've gone past the days of kind of subsidized console launches you know they want to be making breaking even or making a profit from launch their console divisions aren't allowed to be making those huge losses in in the early years of a new product being launched and so they perhaps just had to hit that 399 price point when you look at how they've kind of positioned everything about the the playstation 4 it's all been about value it, you know it's, it was an added bonus that it was more powerful than the xbox one but the fact that they lost the camera peripheral early on i think was a was a clear indication that they were very keen to hit a certain price point and to be seen as the best value option but for people with 4k sets who are looking to to dabble in gaming who want uh, a uhd blu-ray player as well it gives them a very real dilemma do you want a console that leans more heavily on perhaps gaming with more first party titles and sony and and you know better graphics for those titles but then you're stuck with only the streaming options or do you pick up an Xbox One S and given the fact that they are, you know, the, the lowest hard drive version is it's very cheap, is a good value UHD Blu-ray player and you get the benefit of being able to game on it. If you can get a hold of one. 
Yes, there is that. Um, but you would assume in, in the run up to Christmas, when these things are directly competing, there will be, you know, a yeah, lot of stuff. I, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, which is price point and the fact that it's something that we keep discussing on a regular basis on the podcast, and that is uh, why will companies pay for um, hard drives and um, physical media when they can stream? And that's been the excuse that's come out of Sony is that uh, they see the future as a streaming future. Uh, and not a hardware feature. I, I think they'll be eating humble pie. I think we'll find in the next six months that that, that changes around because it'll have to change around. It could be, Steve. There is a, a little conspiracy out there. Um, I believe it was um, uh, Bill Hunt that maybe discuss, started yeah, discussing this over at the Digital Bits, and he was making the suggestion that perhaps they, uh, they want their standalone players to have a bit of market time before the console then gets uh, the ability to play UHD Blu-rays. Maybe. But I, I think that's there's maybe a bit of wishful thinking in there as well. Um, I mean, there's no there's no question that uh, a PS4 Pro with a UHD hard drive, you know, with a UHD hard drive built in, that's selling for, you know, three three hundred and three hundred fifty quid, that would definitely undercut their sales. There's no question about that. If if they did that, so I can see that being a logical um, assumption. Um, but it just seems crazy to basically hand over the entire market now to uh, Microsoft in terms of anyone who wants to buy a game gaming console combined with ultra hd blu-ray player you've only got one choice um having said that obviously sony's view has always been with the ps4 that it's for gaming primarily and it's not meant to be an all you know all-in-one solution the way that the ps3 was and the way that the xbox one is being pitched so yeah okay i mean we'll see um what, what they do need to do is and hopefully they'll announce it at cedia they need to get these these standalone players into the marketplace, at least one, possibly two, apparently, uh, because it's getting slightly embarrassing now, isn't it? I mean, the company that developed Blu-ray still hasn't got an Ultra HD Blu-ray player in the marketplace. Maybe and despite they, what they may say, it's doing really well as a format. Maybe they so, th- maybe they think they're big like Apple and that they can be brave and and change the marketplace. Because <laughs> you got you well, got there is. you got a question: Why didn't they come out straight away with a with a standalone player? They're either caught napping. Or they they believe that streaming is the future and they wanted to try and force that onto the marketplace. There is the theory that, in fact, they're trying to push their own content service. So this was similar to when the the PS4 came out and people were were asking for, you know, the ability to play CDs or the ability to plug in their own MP3 players and things like that. And the answer was, well, we've got, you know, kind of PlayStation Music or whatever it was called, I forget. Um, And we've got our own streaming service for that with X number of artists and, and I think some people suspect that perhaps they're trying to do the same thing now with a video service. So to say, you know, we'll watch it through streaming. Streaming is the future, and we just happen to have our own service as well. Yeah, well, if they do do that, they're going to they're going to end up with egg on their faces because they're already massively behind the likes of Amazon and uh, Netflix, and there's no way they're going to catch up. Not well, a chance. Well, the other thing is that the actual studio that they own, Sony <laughs> Pictures, is is one of the big companies when it comes to um, UHD Blu-ray discs. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, what are Sony customers going to play the Smurfs free on? I, I, no, seriously. I mean, I think of all the studios, Sony are the ones that are doing the best job right now in terms of Ultra HD Blu-ray. They are, just, you know, consistently where wherever possible, it's a 4K DI, so it's a native 4K image. They're doing Dolby Atmos soundtracks on every single release, even if it didn't have one originally. They're doing a new remix. They're really, really div- putting out some. I mean, some of the titles aren't great. Yeah, so you're right, Phil. But you know, in terms of what they're trying to do, in, in terms of supporting the format, they're doing a bang-up job. It's it's crazy that the hardware side of the business isn't supporting them. And I honestly think that Mark's partly right. I think they really want to push their streaming services because it's cutting out the middleman. It's more profit for them. I also think that deep down inside, they didn't think that Blue, Ultra HD Blue was going to do very well. And I think they're 
they're going to find out by the end of the year that they've made a mistake there because it actually it's i mean in terms of its launch success and this is talking to the bda vastly much much better than blu-ray when it launched i mean granted that was in the middle of a format war but you know it's a bigger launch they said that back at ces they're going to have 100 titles by the end of the year they're going to hit 100 titles by the end of the year so we've got 100 titles available multiple players from different manufacturers and still nothing from sony that's just embarrassing in my opinion there was a, a one nice little bit of news though uh extra bit of news for existing ps4 owners with regards tvs and that kind of thing which is that going to be a firmware update so all ps4s will be uh hdr compatible so that that was a nice little thing yeah um, that was actually quite a surprise they also um uh, outlined new ps4 slim which will kind of take over from the current sku uh which will be out september 15th standard kind of slim everything down lower power consumption that kind of thing uh, and that'll be launching at 259 pounds the only minor fly in the ointment with that similar kind of harking back to with the iphone is that there will be no optical out on that so if like me you use a, a pair of gaming headphones that uses the optical out uh, you might want to be mindful of that you're already seeing the, the kind of people saying well it, it didn't really matter about the uhd blu-ray drive um 4k films are selling terribly you know physical media is dead <laughs> that kind of thing 4k sets aren't, aren't yeah. and virtually every every metric puts it kind of ahead in terms of where things were i think people just forget how slow it, we were to kind of adopt to, to full hd particularly you know and and how slow it was for the content to be there you know most yeah, people totally. actually bought if you go back to the days of particularly the xbox 360 when that launched first People bought that when they had standard definition TVs. Yeah. People bought it and then they planned to buy an HD TV. You know, the, right. the content comes and then you upgrade the, the chain. The situation is reversed now. Yeah, there's a exactly. massive established 4K TV base and there's no damn content half the time. And that people are crying out for content. And that's why Ultra HD Blu-ray has actually been a phenomenal success relative to things like Blu-ray. Um, because there is an established user base already. Yeah. And and that's why I think Sony, um, in terms of the hardware side um, and not releasing a player, I've, I've kind of you missed a trick there, really. I think yeah, they, it's they... absolutely baffling. But then you have to look at Sony and you have to look at the, the culture behind that company. And again, this is only my personal opinion, having dealt with the company. But it is so. It, at one time, it was so huge and they were the world's number one manufacturer. And it went to their heads completely went to their heads we are sony i remember the first time i ever went to an event covering it for av forums and i, I tried to get into the sony area and get to speak to them and they were so arrogant um but of course they you know they fell from grace pretty quickly they lost loads of money pretty quickly but the the problem is they still think they're this massive company again this is my personal opinion and they are split into so many different companies now <laughs> Um, you know the TV company separate, the gaming side separate, the the home appliances side separate, and 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 they're all these separate areas and different people covering different things and being in charge of different things, and that's why the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. That's why, <laughs> that's why you know you you get standalone players don't come out at, at format launch because um, they probably didn't realise that they had to be there, you know, because they're too busy working on something else or, you know, somebody didn't get the memo or whatever. They're such a big company and they're split into so many different areas that, you know, sometimes it's impossible just for us to get <laughs> the information that we need because we need to speak to three different people in three different areas and divisions of the company. It's it's, And when you're structured like that, then I, I, I fully understand why things happen the way they happen with Sony. 
completely. I'll never forget the Bristol show where they were doing a demo. I think it was one of their projectors at the time, but they couldn't get permission from Sony Pictures to show <laughs> any Sony Pictures content on it. It's like, isn't that why you bought a studio? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it, it, completely bizarre. And and again, it's the culture that's been there since they were, you know, since they were top of the pile. And it's a long time since Sony were top of the pile. But there's still that 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 attitude and that that drive that they they still think they are. Um, I think they've yeah. done a, a good job in the past decade of of writing that with regards to the games division. That's all I'd say. Where people were kind of calling them arrogant Sony in the days of the PS3 launch, particularly with regards their bullishness over the price, and people saw it as a kind of um, having things in it which they didn't want. You know, there were a lot of people who didn't want the Blu-ray drive. Um, so I, I think they're they're kind of always mindful of not repeating past mistakes, and and I think they also realise that. If they continue to just go with the value proposition in, in looking like it's a reasonable price point with regards the amount of kind of first party titles they have to offer and just let people buy based on the games. You know, it's great if it's a media device as well, but not deviate so far from their core base. Yeah. OK, so uh, that's hardware news for this week. We'll be back in a sec with movie news. Okay, uh, moving on to movie news and uh, breaking news is that we are two weeks into September and I have yet to go to the cinema <laughs> on my unlimited card. So, so already that lasted a long time. So already we're we're in. Oh, hang on, no, you went to see War Dogs last. No, week. no, that was on the 30, 31st uh, August. Um, end of August, I saw that, Steve. So I, okay. as far as September right. goes, I've paid my seventeen ninety nine on the first of September and I ain't been yet. So is this month two and I've already fallen down? Who knows? Tune in next week to find out. Um, right, so films opening this Friday. I'm not sure that the films opening this Friday are going to help your cause much. <laughs> well, you see, the big the big issue I've got here, Steve, right, is that this is the AV Forums podcast, okay? And uh, yes, Bridget Jones's baby is coming out this Friday. Uh, but And you've got the guys to quote from the original Bridget, Bridget Jones's diary. However, this week is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. <laughs> Why the hell would there be no quoting from a Star Trek film? This is the <laughs> AV Forums podcast. Bridget Jones, really? Because we've a Bridget Jones diary, I think is really funny. Uh, and B, we. I, I think Star you're the only person that thinks that. Then ah, it's a great film, Bridget Jones diary. The sequel is terrible, but uh, the first <laughs> film I think is excellent. I'm starting to agree with this guy that commented the other week saying, "I'm not really sure about Steve's movie reviews." <laughs> <laughs> Well, there isn't one this week, because like you, I haven't had a chance to go to the cinema. But we do have two films opening on Friday, one of which is Blair Witch, a remake of Blair Witch Project. That is one film that did need to be remade, was it? Well, I mean, it was made in secret, so it was no one knew it was being shot until it was announced. Um, so it was something no one had asked for, and no one needed. I mean, and if you watch the honest trailer, um, Blair Witch... Um, the the thing was, it wasn't funny because everything they were saying was so damn true uh, about that production yeah. and, and that film. It was, I mean, at the time, it was groundbreaking. But it was groundbreaking not because of the film and the content of the film, but the way a, it was put together for $60,000 and it brought in $128 million. Um, The other was it was the first film to ever make use of the internet in terms of yeah. marketing and, and in terms of trying to make out that it was a, a real thing and that the tapes had been found and, it, and these people were real and all the rest of it. I mean... They really used the internet to full effect, and it was the first film to ever do that. But those two reasons had nothing to do with the actual content of the film, which was absolutely dire. It was, the film wasn't well, even original, because there's a film called The Last Broadcast that was made before it, which basically got exactly the same premise. I remember yeah. watching Blair Witch Project at the end of it. I don't know about you, Phil. I sat there thinking, huh? 
Is that yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> yeah, big disappointment. So you got that coming out on Friday. Um, for, some, for some reason, Sharuna is quite excited about the idea of a remake of Blair Witch, and she's going to go and see it. But uh, I can't say it's on my radar or something that I'm particularly interested in. Bridget Jones's Baby, on the other hand, whilst the sequel, um, Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, was absolutely appalling, um, this has been getting good reviews, and it looks quite funny in the trailers. So um, I might actually go and see Bridget Jones's Baby at, at the weekend. Are these all based on, on, on the books? Well, was, was, uh, yes. More except, than one so, book? Yes, they are based upon the three books, except um, particularly in the case of the third book, Bridget Jones's Baby, um, the film deviates from that significantly because uh, in the book, Mark Darcy's character is dead. So um, that's the Colin Firth character, whereas in the film, he's very much alive and part of the movie. Uh, so it, so I only a minor deviation then. Major deviation. It's very different from the book, apparently. But uh, you know, it looks uh, it looks um, looks quite funny, Trez. And uh, yeah, uh, my big concern was whether... Um, um, when he's old, I go and had too much plastic surgery and wouldn't look anything like her, her old self. But uh, she seems to be okay in the trailers. So. The, the only way I'd, I'd go to see Bridget Jones's baby if I really have to make, make sure that I don't waste money on my limited card. card. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to drag along Laura to make her use her bloody card because she never goes to cinema anymore. Is that cinema news? <laughs> <laughs> that was it, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for that. So if people aren't using their limited cards. I think that's that's the main thing we can take away from this week's, <laughs> this week's movie news. All uh, right, Blu-ray releases. Uh, anything worth buying? Yeah, well, one of these actually was released last week, but I put it in running order because I think it's worth mentioning. Which is obviously Captain America: Civil War. It's now available on Blu-ray. It came out. It comes out. Uh, it came out on the in the UK on the fifth of September. So actually, two weeks before the US release, which is unusual. Um, Absolutely cracking film. Saw it at the cinema. Really, really enjoyed it. It's one of the few um, superhero movies which manages to juggle a large cast without resorting to a big, you know, uh, alien invasion, city-destroying conclusion, a la most of the uh, Warner stuff of late. This one actually has a very uh, intimate storyline, uh, and because it's essentially about the battle between Iron Man and Captain America, it keeps it small, small scale but managed to juggle a large cast of characters, introducing new characters into the Marvel Universe as well. One particular noteworthy introduction, which um, I won't spoil for the few people that don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, fantastic film. Great was, action was it scenes, not in the really trailer? Sorry? Was his revelation not in the trailer? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really a spoiler. If it's in the trailer, it's not. in my opinion, it is not a spoiler if it's in the trailer. No, it's not. Spider-Man was, I mean, obviously also it was big news because um, after the um, poor performance of, Sp of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Sony went basically very sensibly, went back to Marvel and said, look, you know, how about we do something together? And um, so Spider-Man is in Civil War and uh, Marvel are making a new standalone Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Homecoming, for Sony. So um, good news all around, really, I think, as far as the Marvel Universe goes. Um, and it's a, it's a really good film. and I highly recommend it. It's also a very good disc. Uh, really great picture and sound. Sadly, uh, you get Disney, so there's no Atmos, but um, or any Ultra HD version. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 worth picking up um, if you haven't seen it yet. It's a great movie. The other things coming out. There's basically a whole load of DC TV stuff being released. Um, so you've got the Flash season two coming out. We've also got Arrow season four and Legends of Tomorrow season one. All these new DB, DC TV series. And from what I'm, I must admit, I've not really watched much of the dc tv stuff apart from a bit of gotham but I, and i understand that their their tv stuff is significantly better than the movies that they've been producing um 
they've been doing some really good stuff on the on the t- on the TV side of things, uh, and actually um, um, some of these shows are very popular and very well received, particularly The Flash, and also Arrow has been getting good re- good reviews. Not so good on Legends of Tomorrow, it has to be said, but uh, the first two have been well received, and Kaz is currently ploughing his way through <laughs> all those box sets. Yeah, I can think of no better person to do that, actually. Mm-hmm. Ultra HD Blu-ray, Steve. Uh, yes, a couple of, um, well, one big announcement since the last time we discussed Ultra HD Blu-ray, which is that Lionsgate are bringing out the four Hunger Games movies on Ultra HD Blu-ray. Pass. That's, sorry. Pass. <laughs> the Hunger Games, Catching Fire, Mockingjay Part 1 and Mockingjay Part 2, all with Dolby Atmos soundtracks. Um, and they're coming out in November. Uh, otherwise, it's much the same as before. Um, we've got quite a bit coming out in September. Uh, and then a lot coming out in October. So, like I said uh, earlier in this podcast, you know, they announced at uh, CES. I think they were being quite bullish at the time. They were going to have a hundred discs out by the end of the year, but it looks like they're actually going to hit that target. Uh, and that's without and, and that's without Disney, you know, helping out because they haven't done any launches yet. So, um, but the other studios certainly are upping their game. Uh, and ironically, one of the studios doing the most for um, is actually Sony. So there you go. Uh, Hodge, how's your UHD collection coming along? It's not really expanded any since last time we spoke, I'm afraid. So, so, so what's that king? I've, I've already got a backlog. I've got I've got seven discs and I haven't watched four of them. <laughs> so yeah, I'm starting. Well, haven't you watched it? Uh, I, you know, that's a bloody good question. Uh, San Andreas, although I probably no intention of really watching that anyway. Uh, well, no, it's good. You should watch it. I enjoyed it. Should I? I don't know. I, I actually couldn't tell you. I can't remember. <laughs> Your enthusiasm is amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I, I think I'm back to my old penny pension way, Steve, because uh, I, was, I was in HMV um, end of August there and uh, looking at the the UHD discs and looking at them and thinking 24.99 or 19.99, mm, bit steep. I'm a bit like that. I am enthusiastic about it, but I am a bit like that with pricing. Just I'll only watch things once. I'm, only, I'm a watch once kind of that, guy. That, that's the thing for me. I, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, well, actually, I'm only going to buy stuff like Independence Day, which I will watch more than once, or I'll be using it as a demo disc, or there's scenes in there that I've known all the way back to the laser disc. You know what I mean? So I know I'm going to get my money's worth out of it. I'm going to use it, going to use it, or going to watch it more than once. And that's the thing. I, I was looking at um, Superman, Batman, and I'm thinking, yeah, it'll be good to see in UHD Blu-ray, but um, do I really want to be paying £25 just to probably watch it the once? I think it's well established on this podcast that I have a slightly different approach. <laughs> oh, Lego yeah. movies will not, not Yeah, get Steve, watched. and we've all got our different priorities and that kind of thing, and we all like to spend our disposable on different things. So I think addiction is the word you're looking for. <laughs> I was just trying to be polite, Steve. <laughs> no, no, don't bother. Don't for once. Say it like it is. It's an addiction. <laughs> well, there are still some Blu-ray box sets that are ridiculous prices, to be honest. Yeah. I, I bought the Lethal Weapon four disc box set, five disc box set for uh, I think it was eleven ninety nine last week. <laughs> well, Criterion are just uh, re-releasing the Zatoichi box set. Oh yeah, yeah. Without all the the DVDs, and that is seriously tempting because you know that it will just end up going up in price. But it it's it just it looks just kind of prohibitively priced, but it, it does look great. I noticed the uh, so, Cap- Captain uh, America three film box set and I thought well I haven't seen any of them so that would be a good buy for me but it's £27 at the minute just come out this week uh, give that a month or two that'll be down to 15 quid. i I'll pick it up then probably true and because you haven't seen the other two and it's been a few years you don't need to rush do you really exactly plus yeah. you might need to actually get Avengers and Avengers um, Age of Ultron because uh, they're kind of I, all three I've, um, I've got them already 
Ah, well, there you go then. You can do your five. I just haven't watched them yet. <laughs> did you, Mark, uh, Mark Bot, uh, Botwright, did you see that um, I think Criterion also doing uh, a Lone Wolf and Cub re, um, new disc? No, I, I I haven't seen that. That's... Ah, oh. right, right, damn it. <laughs> the first thing I'm doing once we... Right, end this podcast. Come on. Check an assassin. <laughs> I thought own it in every format. Time. Well, yeah. it's something to look forward to as we move on swiftly because we're running out of time. But um, interestingly, we were talking about uh, Sony and, and maybe they, they don't, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Um, a little story that amused me that popped up on the BBC Technology website um, during the week. And that was that Warners um, have reported their own website for breach of copyright. Yeah, um, so they, they obviously um, hand this job out to a third party who goes around looking for the internet, looking for links that link to uh, illegal versions of their films or, or uh, copyrighted material or images or all the rest of it. <laughs> third party reported themselves to Warners. Um, it would be even better if Google had taken them off. Rather than point out to them that it's yeah. your site. <laughs> at, least, at least somebody at Google knows what, what the crack is and knows what's not copyrighted. <laughs> so. I mean, could, could you imagine the damage that would do if they had removed all those links? Yeah. <laughs> So it just shows you how, you know, cock a hoop sometimes this uh, fight on piracy is and how stupid it is sometimes because then, you know, they end up reporting themselves to themselves um, over copyrighted material and so on. Uh, I'm sure there's better ways to be spending your money, Warners. And uh, Jason Bourne um, has been making the Chinese sick, apparently. Yeah, because um, unlike the rest of the world, uh, 3D is still hugely popular in China. So quite often studios do 3D conversions of films only for the Chinese market. Um and they, and, but I don't think they necessarily thought this one through because they they just did a 3D conversion of Jason Bourne, and it was almost entirely you could only really see it in 3D. There was hardly any 2D screenings in China. And anyone who's ever seen a Jason Bourne movie knows that ain't the kind of film you want to turn into a 3D film because you know 3D, even if you're doing a conversion, you still shoot it with that thought in mind. So you know, obviously, you want to keep the camera relatively static for a lot of shots and that kind of stuff. Now, all that shaky cam stuff was in Jason Bourne. People were basically throwing up in the cinema because of motion sickness and things like that. And um, I'm not surprised. So it just goes to show that just because 3D is popular in certain territories, not all films are appropriate for 3D conversion. And this definitely was one of them. Uh, it, it just reminds me of Family Guy and, and you know thinking about a Chinese audience like that because once one person goes, then everybody follows And that, that's the Family Guy with the Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a joke they usually string out for about three minutes, don't they, as well? <laughs> just keep ramming the yeah, point home. <laughs> but just to transfer that onto 200 people in a cinema, and one, one, once one person goes the off, oh, in the smell. <laughs> okay. I wonder if they might be a bit more cautious if they do release Blair Witch there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, at least I know how to entertain myself. Right, so I mentioned earlier on, um, it's a big birthday for Star Trek. 50 years, can you... It's hard to believe that. Um, older really, than it's, Yeah, almost older. just older than me, yeah. Just, just, just older. <laughs> That's quite um, a thing. But it's interesting, I, I noticed Sci-Fi Channel um, have been running on on a loop, the, uh, the uh, original cast movies, um, almost every night this week, but they're also running uh, Voyager and um, Deep Space Nine and the Next Generation. Am I missing any of that? Enterprise. Enterprise. Well, I couldn't forget Enterprise. It never really happened, did it? I liked Enterprise. It's a long way. <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> all, all those series are available to watch on Netflix as well. Yes, they are. Catching and um, uh, yeah, it, again, I'd, it just comes down to time, Steve. You know, this this is the annoying thing with services like Netflix and, and Amazon and so on. You see so many things that you want to watch. And you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch it. I'll have to watch that later. And I'll, have, I'll watch that later. And the, oh, the, all the Star Treks, I'll have to watch them. Now we get around to it. No, not the time. I've got to say, um, I, I did watch Space Seed, which is the episode of Star Trek, the original series, with, um, which introduces the character of Khan. I watched that, and then afterwards I watched Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, the director's cut Blu-ray release that came out a few weeks ago. And um, I think uh, Paramount done a fantastic job of cleaning up, you know, because um, obviously they were shot on 35 mil, um, these the original series, and they've cleaned up the effects and done new, new effects. It's the same effect shot, but just done with, you know, CGI rather than the old model shots. And uh, looked really, really good. Very impressive. So, yeah. Uh, I might watch double, double in some more of the old things because there are some great episodes of that original series. Things like City on the Edge of Forever was a cracky one with Joan Collins. Um, there's some great, great episodes to watch, so I might um, might uh, plow through a few more of those yeah. uh, classic I, I, episodes. I, from the, a lot of the originals yeah. are, are entertaining to watch, um, uh, and yeah, I enjoy dipping into it. I, I don't think I've actually sat and watched um, the original series from beginning to end. I think there's still a few episodes I haven't seen yet. No. Um, from the original series, it's not one that I've sat. The only one that I, I really have followed from beginning to end, encountered at far point, right the way through to all good things, and that's the next generation. Um, and for some reason, I did follow that whole series all the way through when it was broadcast. Um, Voyager, I started with Voyager and then lost interest halfway through. Yeah, me too. And, and that was more of I had other things um, to do rather than sitting watching that, and it was it was before Sky Plus and that kind of thing. So. Um, I just kind of lost contact with it halfway through. Um, I never got into Deep Space Nine. It was that was the one series that passed me by was Deep Space Nine. Never got into it. Although apparently um, it's one of the better series, from what I understand. People that are into Star Trek and watched all the series. I have only watched one episode, which was Trials and Tribulations, the one where they go back in time and into the old original series, which was quite a clever one. Um, people always recommend it as having, shall we say, deeper plots and kind of mm, interconnected yes. characters and stuff like that. So I keep meaning to get into it. But and, I always felt to me, because it was set on a space station, it was just too similar to Babylon 5, and, and um, I preferred that when I was back in the day. Yeah, but so. yeah, at, at least with the other series, they're, they're travelling. <laughs> so they're going to new places and new sets. And when you're stuck in one location, it kind of it, it's difficult for you to take it very far isn't it really in terms of storylines and it, you're, you're more about people coming to you than you going to people yeah i'll tell you what's interesting is that you know 50 years old um and 50 years ago when star trek first aired you know it was quite a by being a science fiction series Roddenberry could put things in that perhaps would have been controversial at the time in an actual drama but it wasn't a huge success i mean it did three seasons and then it got cancelled it's hard to think now 50 years later you know we've had an animated series the next generation Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise. There's a new season starting in, in January. Um, we've had six original cast films. We've had four Next Generation films, and we're on to our third of the rebooted films. Yeah. Uh, from a TV series that got cancelled in 1970. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, and it's really interesting. If you uh, there's, there's a few documentaries. I think they're still on Netflix. A few documentaries which go from original series and follow the fans and, and, and follow Gene Roddenberry's story. I think it's actually made by his, his son. Mm, yeah. um, and it's really, really interesting documentary about him and uh, his career and how he came about it and how he pushed it to CBS and how he, he almost petitioned them when he knew it was going to get cancelled and he, he had protests outside the studio gates and all the rest of it. And 
and what happened in those years where it was off the air and went into syndication and that kind of thing it's a really 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 interesting story as to how it gained popularity and how it started to spawn this this whole community behind it yeah. way well before the days of the internet and yeah. online communities and that kind of thing and how uh, the convention scene started up and then you know star wars was a big success and that's what led on to them then making uh, the motion picture which led on to the series uh, original um uh, uh, star movies and so on and i've got to say I, I still go back to the original movies rather than the next generation movies the only next generation movie i go back to is first contact yeah first contact good one. um I, I don't like I, they're all right but they're, they're not classics in any way the other next generation films i don't think first contact is really good um mm. But I will go back to the originals, even the bad originals. And I'd, I've got to say... Even my, Star Trek V. Even Star Trek V is is better than some of the Generations films for me. But my favourites have to be uh, Rutha Khan. And I've got a real um, soft spot for number four, The Voyage Home. Yeah. I enjoy that. Two, two four and six, uh, um, as, as is the unwritten rule of Star Trek films, uh, tend to be the good ones, the even numbers. So two, four and six. And then uh, I guess I, you can I, I actually, first contact is... I actually eight. enjoy the original. I, I enjoy the uh, original motion picture. Really? Yeah, I, I think I it's do. just mindlessly boring and nothing really happens it, for it, two and a half hours. It is a bit. It is a bit like like that, and it's a you know it could it's do very it be cut. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But then again, it's Star Trek, and it's it was the first time the original cast had been on screen, and there's yes, there's some bits of it that are really good, and and the whole Voyager thing, I find that really quite interesting. I thought that was quite a nice twist, even though it took yeah. us four and a half hours to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> four, four and a half hours of nice shots of the Enterprise with the music playing, and and yeah. and and now and again, uh, it cuts back to Kirk and and Scotty flying towards it, and then it cuts back to more scenes, <laughs> more angles of the Enterprise. I mean that whole that must be about thirty minutes of the film. That I actually like that sequence because it's like, it's like an, you know it's a love letter to the Enterprise, isn't it? And, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it just it, 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 it just on a big screen. You can see why Family Guy and the rest of them really pick on that that scene and <laughs> play it out and play it out and play it out long after it's been funny. I find it hard going. to watch Khan without giggling at certain scenes with the Family Guy. I mean, there's the whole bit when he goes, <laughs> Also, the fantastic bit at the end when he goes, of all the souls I've ever encountered in my travels, his was the most human. <laughs> well, that's when Brian... Oh, sorry. Let's not give spoilers away. So, oh, actually, if you're into Star Trek, there is also, um, to tie in with this 50th anniversary, there are two new books that have been published called The First 25 Years and The Next 25 Years, um, which is a, an oral history of the uh, warts and all, totally unauthorized, but basically based on interviews of all the people that were involved in Star Trek, um, gives you the full story, the full behind the scenes, you know, completely um, unexpurgated version of what happened from the intercept, you know, from Roddenberry creating Star Trek right through until the most recent stuff, and and there's some very good stuff in those sort of years you were talking about, Phil, between seventy and seventy nine, when they were trying to bring it back and the ideas they had, and they were going to do that Phase Two TV series that morphed into becoming the motion picture because of Star Wars, um, yeah, which I actually think I might order because apparently they are really good reads if you're a fan of Star Trek. I thought we'd be bigger Star Trek fans than we actually are. Uh, no, I've always been a Star Wars fan. Star Trek's just a, you know, a sideline. <laughs> there's too much of it. to be honest with Star Trek and it's, and it's becoming that way with Star Wars now with yeah. Disney there's just too much Star Trek to really yeah, you can't, the, you can't yeah. watch all that stuff I've got time and unfortunately Star Trek Star Wars rather is now going in the same direction with, you know, it's multiple. funny it's funny you say that because you know, listening to my nephew talking about but, and he's talking about characters and I haven't got a freaking clue who he's talking about he's talking about Star Wars and Star Wars characters obviously from Rebels and that kind of thing and I haven't got a clue who he's talking about 
And you know, it's, like, it's funny because uh, when we were kids, we would have known all that stuff too. Names of all the characters, even though their names are never mentioned in the film. Yeah. I mean, like, um, Sam people are called Sam people. They're never referred to as um, Tuscan Raiders, but we knew that was what they were called. Mm. I don't think at any point anyone says the planet's name is Tatooine, but we obviously knew that was the name of the planet. I mean, there's there's loads and loads of things that you just kind of knew because you'd been reading about it for so long around the subject. And I guess that's what kids do now as well. And they're still, they know all the names of all the characters. And they're thinking like, who? Yeah. I actually I, would struggle to name all the characters in Rebels. And I actually watched it and enjoyed it. But I don't remember the names. It's because you're not buying the toys as well. That's the thing. Because yeah. you used to go and buy the toys and buy the figures. And you would see a figure in, 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 the, in the store. I've been used to. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you would pick up the figure and it would have the name of the figure there. and But the name was never in any of the films. So it wasn't until you actually went and picked up the... Uh, the box and read what the names were. That's that's how you learned who everybody was in the original uh, Star Wars. Well, certainly that's how, how it worked for me when I was a kid. Uh, but like you say, I mean, it was it was always in the magazines that you'd buy as a kid and stuff. I mean, there was Lucan magazine. I'm trying to think what other magazines there were when I was a kid. Starburst was the one um, I was reading back in yeah, 77. There was that. And there's there other things that... Because we didn't have the internet back then either. So That's also because you know, it came out in May 77, but didn't really hit the UK until Boxing Day and into January, March, um, January 8th, February of 78. I had a good six to eight months of build up for this you know reading about it constantly and just can't wait to see this film it was i mean it's i think it's probably difficult to explain to the modern generation or you know people that weren't around at the time what that was like but you know when i was 10 that was it you know, it, I, I, nothing since then has come close to that experience either i really did peak yeah. at that point and that was it you know it's been downhill ever since really yeah yeah <laughs> but i mean like you say getting it back to the original um conversation which is star trek and not star wars um <laughs> i think we've just proved our point <laughs> yeah, allegiance is there. um but yeah d- it, you know the, there is a lot more to that universe um yes yeah, star wars is catching up uh, at a fair rate of nuts but it is a really expanded universe of star trek one there's, there's lots of things there for different people to to like and i guess that's why the conventions uh, are so huge uh, why so many people um get involved with it and and of course there's there's the social messages as well which you know nowadays they stick out like a sore thumb especially the original series steve but back in the day it, it was quite brave of roddenberry to to try and you know force the issue as it were through through the drama and of course there was that first first ever case on tv yeah with interracial kiss so um it really was at the same time pushing boundaries with that and it's something that star trek's always been about there's always been a moral issue behind the stories yeah, there's, and there's always a sense of, there's a moral issue to a lot of the stories and a sense of hope about the future, which I think is a very 60s um, mentality. I don't think, you know, you wouldn't have had that series created in the 1970s when there was a very much a movies and TV were moving towards dystopia. And there was a sense of, uh, you know, depression because of things like Watergate and the Vietnam War. Um, whereas in the 60s with things like Apollo, there was this sense of greater hope of the, for the future. And that's definitely reflected in Star Trek, where you have this kind of um, essentially an inter, interstellar UN, isn't it, with um, all different species working together in harmony uh, and, you know, multi, multi-ethnic, uh, multiracial crews on the ships and, and women in scene. Although, interestingly, the original pilot had number one as a female. Uh, Marjorie Barrett, Barrett played the part of number one. Um, and he, Roddenberry was told by the studios, that's ridiculous, you'll never have a woman in that role. And, and he had to drop that character, and, and she became a nurse in a more traditional female role 
in in the actual series and they they said you can either keep the woman number one or you can keep the alien he said well okay well i'll keep the alien um so they could they could actually believe an alien in the role of a scene you know a second a number one uh, commanding officer rather than the female in a commanding officer role um, which is kind of very telling of the times but Roddenberry certainly tried to push the boundaries in terms of sexuality and um and race and that kind of thing and and which you know um i think you could always do that more like i said earlier in the realms of science fiction uh, where where most science fiction stories really are more moral tales or st- stories about our world but just made to look slightly different in order to get across something that might be considered controversial at the time um and you know it's always interesting to watch sci-fi films because they always say more about the time that they were made in than they do about whatever they were meant to be covering you know, some future period. It's always really about when they were made. So something from the 70s will be dark and dystopian and slightly depressing, whereas something from the 60s tends to be much more optimistic. Yeah. And, of course, just look at the technology. Um, and, and I think we're, we're actually ahead of schedule in terms of catching up with Star Trek technology, especially computing power. Um, even and communicators. And, well, I was just going to come on to that. Even looking at the next generation, um, you know, some of the technology has moved on even since that was first broadcast. I mean, and just look at what Apple's announced this week um, mm. as a good example, you know, in terms of where we've come in terms of communications and, and computing power. I mean, look at an iPhone and how much computing power you have in that iPhone. It's about nine or ten times the power of the Apollo mission. Of Apollo spacecraft, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's just in the core processing. That's not in any of the graphic the stuff or anything else. had a 3.5 mil input, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, mil- mil- the Millennium Falcon did. You know, hand on his little, yeah, let's blow this thing, get, yeah. let's go home. Imagine if he'd been fumbling around for proprietary earplugs. Exactly, or waiting for his wireless signal to work. <laughs> Damn it, I've only got two minutes charge left. <laughs> the one thing I wish they'd invented from Star Trek that I would, I would love is tele, you know, being able to teleport. Because, you know, how many times have you sat in an airport thinking, I've got 10 hours to like get home <laughs> and thinking, if I could just teleport there in a second. Yeah, but it's, it, it's, the, it's the one bit of complete and utter fantasy, though, that from the whole thing that will never, ever, ever yeah. come true. Because I think I watched them, something on Discovery, and they were, they were going on about the science of Star Trek and all the rest of it. And teleportation will never happen. Just the computing power alone to take every single atom of the human body and then deconstruct (laughs) it and then reconstruct it, but not also that, but move it through space and time. And it's just impossible. It'll never happen. It's it's pure fantasy, but it'd be great, Steve. It really would, because I think they made the point of that in, um, in Star Trek Beyond. There's a shot of, it's almost like the suicide booths in Futurama, (laughs) where there's the queue of people and they're just going in the booth and disappear and they're being teleported somewhere else. (laughs) And the first thing I thought about when I saw that was that Futurama thing. <laughs> well, don't they have the reason that they have that long effect shot of uh, Kirk and Scotty flying up the Enterprise in such motion pictures because the teleport doesn't work, does it? Yeah. Um, Trans- transporter, not teleporter. Transporter. Let's, let's be correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's actually a scene in the motion picture where um, it goes wrong, and yeah. there's two people, and all that's left is this steaming pile of inside-out humans. Which is why Bones has that fear of he'll never get in the transporter. Well, I think in the case of the film, couldn't that, couldn't had that happened just a few minutes before they transport Bones? So I think his point of view was very valid. If they just killed their original science officer. <laughs> well, I'm just looking at a book right now that says teleportation may be possible. So, yeah. it's it's I think never... inanimate objects possibly you could teleport. Have they, I, I, they I, teleported I, like photons and that sort of stuff already? No, there's apples. <laughs> Will you stop mentioning apples? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it'll ever happen, Mark. And on that bombshell, uh, it's time to end this week's podcast. Uh, My thanks to Mark Burry. Why don't we see if Mark fancies a gherkin?
Mark Hodgkinson. Frankly, I'd rather have a job wiping Saddam Hussein's arse. <laughs> Would that be a promotion or a demotion? <laughs> it's a close call. And Steve Weathers. I got to leave my job because I shagged my boss. And on that mental image, uh, in, I, I can categorically state you never laid a finger on me. <laughs> Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV forums for latest reviews, news and video, and of course, leave us those five-star ratings on iTunes. We'll read your name out. We're not going to tell you when. We'll just do it. It'll be a surprise for you. So get your feedback in and leave us something witty. I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you.